Iran, they uh, have this idea of their reaches beyond borders, that they rule all Muslims everywhere. Iran is inspired by the Ottoman Empire. Uh, there's this idea that the when the government is divine, dissent is blasphemy. That's terrifying. That's a terrifying idea to have when it comes to running a state. Because obviously then the government, whatever they say, is not just correct, you know, like they use a propaganda machine to say, no, we're right, like in 1984. It's that they're they're right because it's divine, because it's God-inspired, because it was descended from on high and can't be questioned no matter what. They have a believe they have a duty to spread Islam, and obviously I'm just saying what the contents of the book are, as opposed to necessarily advocating what's being said. And Iran, he talks about the uranium enrichment in Iran trying to get nuclear weapons, uh, how negotiations are ongoing. Obviously, President Trump just pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal, which as far as I understood it was just we paid them a whole bunch of money to not develop nuclear weapons, which is kind of a weird situation. Uh, the author says that Iran must decide whether it is a country or a cause, which is an important distinction. Like when it comes to the whole Huntington clash of civilizations thing, I think it has a whole lot of truth to it. When you have certain memes that are so integrated into a society, culturally, things like, you know, Iran governs all Muslims everywhere. It's like, that's not a respect for borders or sovereignty of other states. That's just saying that it doesn't matter what's your pretending right now we're going to be something else. You know, it's like the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict and talking about how the human rights abuses of Israel and how there needs to be a two-state solution, all this stuff, but not being honest about the fact that the other side is trying to destroy one side. You know, it's like, I'm sure Israel has done horrible things, but the official platform of the other side is to completely wipe out Israel (laughs) and teach their kids that Israel should be wiped out, etc. So that's a really different kind of posture to have. You know, if Iran was like, well, this is our country and this is what we we want to do, whatever we want to do in our country. That's a different position from wherever any Muslim is at any time, we are governing them, whether they acknowledge it or not, and whether any other country happens to be around them or not. So it is kind of a distinction. They have to figure that out, which they are. I'm sure right now they believe that they are a cause more than a country, and it could have a lot to do with kind of domestic politics and maintaining control there, but still, it's it's an issue on the world stage. Okay, Asia, and there was no word unifying the Asian countries. <laughs> it could be a little, you know, a little questionably racist, but there was no word unifying Asian countries until they encountered the West. Obviously, they were warring on their own and, and didn't see themselves as combined. And Japan, notoriously homogenous. They don't let a whole lot of people come into the country to live. I hear that they're making a Nintendo land, which I desperately want. I want to go, that's so nerdy. I really want to go. I'm hoping they have a real life Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> you like throw red shells at people or something. I don't know how they would do that. But still, I really, I can't wait. I really want to go. I'm sure it'll be insane when it first opens, but I really want to go. I've never been in Japan, so that'd be a good reason to go. Not all the history... <laughs> and the technology and learning about the culture and the food and all that stuff, but going to a video game land, that's the reason I finally get there. Anyway, and Japan kind of shifted from isolation to borrowing. There's this whole, I think it was in this book, where there's this whole long description of the way that the United States was trying to get access to Japanese and Chinese markets, which was really good, and I don't know if I'm going to run into it, but it talked about just kind of the posture of China versus the posture of Japan when they'd be approached by American envoys to 
try to get access to the economies of those places. People don't understand at all how important it was everything that our founding fathers <laughs> did and all the people thereafter. Like, we don't give them enough credit for how much work they put in trying to open up the rest of the world and make countries interdependent and, and get some kind of a foothold and at least an understanding of what other countries are and what they're coming from and what their military prowess was. We don't recognize or acknowledge how much those people did, and especially nowadays because they happen to be white males primarily. It's like we have to sweep that under the rug and say that, no, it was bad, evil colonialism and it was just warmongering or whatever else. But all those impacted whether this country was going to be the greatest in the world or not. So it's just... People are so insecure about it that they can't just say, like, oh, no, yeah, he, he was a white male, but that doesn't have anything to do with it. It was just, they did really important things, and we're prosperous now. It's just that, it's that quote that always plays in my head that it terrifies me about how bad times create strong men, strong men create good times, and good times creates weak men. And it just goes, it's that flow. And right now, we're just creating a whole bunch of weak men. What was I talking about? I talking about Japan, wasn't I? <laughs> okay. So, uh, Japan had this early idea of divinity and the emperor they have an emperor which seems so outdated they challenge the chinese claims to divinity the japanese emperor was supposed to be from the sun goddess uh, that's not a great name i wonder if they have a better name in japanese for that i mean we have western nations have pretty awesome mythologies and i just wonder i don't know enough about chinese japanese or korean or vietnamese mythologies or laotian mythologies to know whether they're awesome too but who knows uh japan kind of understood themselves to be a divine country so is more con- contained so they get to reign over it forever and ever but it was just japan is the island of japan oh and there was a there was a japanese warrior and i couldn't remember the name when i was writing the notes but there was a japanese warrior who was just like gung-ho and wanted to take over the ming dynasty what is it? ming dynasty i don't know enough about chinese china either but he wanted to take it over take like china over <laughs> he took 160,000 men into mainland he got resisted by the koreans the Chinese intervened but in the midst of it the warrior died and then so they stopped doing it but it was like the you know Alexander the Great or Frederick the Great or of Japan who was trying to take stuff over so I didn't know much about that so that's pretty awesome I mean it's not awesome to kill a whole bunch of people and burn things down and, and take women and all that stuff that's bad I'm just it's like cool it's still cool it does it can still be cool and bad okay that's how it works just like a motorcycle I, <laughs> those aren't really comparable uh so India if if you have power, you should undertake. Uh, but this is an important point: is how Britain's impact on India was similar to Napoleon's impact on Germany, uh, because they both had very strong unifying effects. Places that were otherwise warring with each other, it became unifying once you had a, a third party intervening. And obviously, uh, I would think that once <laughs> India being unified, you know, might have led to conflicts with Pakistan, but it didn't lead to what happened in Germany. So. <laughs> I don't know who had a a more significant negative impact on things. So, obviously, India has had disputed borders with Pakistan consistently. And one time I had to actually, like, I had to prove, related to a case, I had to prove that, like, a a client no longer owned this property in India, but I had to go deep into, like, land records, and they are so far behind just trying to find land records for a particular piece of land and its sale records and that 
that kind of stuff. Like it was just the middle of nowhere and it was weirdly zoned and I couldn't I couldn't find a record of like an address that <laughs> that was just sold at some point and there's a bill of sale and all that stuff. Couldn't find it. It was so it was so weird. And then he gives a prescription for US involvement and I can't I just wrote prescription for US involvement. I did not write what that was. So, so <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I apologize. Uh then there was a a new Asian order. It talks about Mao and how Mao wanted to destroy the traditional practices that made China weak. There was the 1958 Great Leap Forward that was trying to catch China up by force. You know, the 19... Uh, so this was like the rapid industrialization that led to a whole bunch of bad stuff. Uh, Mao died in 1976. And I always... It's funny thinking about these big characters in history. I don't know. For some reason, I think that they're just in power for a few years, you know, but then they get ousted uh, because they're so crazy and doing such horrible things. But usually it's like, oh, they have a couple of decades to work this stuff before anything happens. But Mao, you know, I think he just died of old age. And then after he died, they went towards economic modernization, uh, more than just the rapid industrialization that led to so many, you know, like famines and deaths and all that. I love how I could just so flippantly talk about all these absolutely horrendous things. Just like, oh yeah, there's a famine, millions died, whatever, moving on. That's, it's a weird position to be in. Uh, then there's, oh, he, so he's kind of getting into now, he talks about different methods of world order. Um, and he talks about here, human rights and how that's kind of a foundational thing. And the West's idea about protecting human rights is a kind of strategy for world order. Uh, the East says, uh, the East kind of says, that human rights, the idea of human rights is a tool to attack weaker countries. So you just say, you abused human rights, so now I can conquer you. And a tool to prevent Asian hegemony. So, I don't know, uh, you know, I think, I mean, from the foot soldier perspective, (laughs) I definitely want more human rights everywhere, especially when it comes to speech, number one, most important thing in the history of the world. But I'm sure those, those ideas have been abused to kind of insinuate themselves into other countries. And again, it's something we have to thank for making the most prosperous country in the world, but it's probably not the most moral thing either. Like, there's certainly some cynical motives behind all this kind of stuff. So, Monroe Doctrine, of course, that the United States wouldn't tolerate further colonization or puppet monarchs in our hemispheres, protect the Western Hemisphere. There's the idea of manifest destiny for the United States, and I think we're just easing into the United States here. There's the Louisiana Territory. I don't know why I noted that so many times. I think it's just because is King Louis, not King Louis from Jungle Book. I mean, so Louis the 14th and how we got that from him and he's the Sun King and that's Teddy Roosevelt said, America goes not abroad searching for monsters. So I'm glad we don't talk like that anymore where he's saying we don't go looking for, goes not abroad. He didn't say America doesn't go abroad searching for monsters, but whatever. So that was Teddy Roosevelt's perspective that we're not going to go out there trying to fix the world. And we've got Woodrow Wilson in World War One, Treaty of Versailles again, the League of Nations which I think is equivalent to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, meaning it doesn't do a whole lot and doesn't accomplish much and everybody forgot about it. Then we've got Franklin Roosevelt and the New World Order because he has to deal with Stalin now who is convinced that capitalism is a system, is the system that created wars. So if we didn't have capitalism, we wouldn't have wars. Of course, that's insanity. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's just a crazy, insane concept. But, you know, Stalin did what he did. Now we don't have a balance of powers. We have a peace enforced by kind of four policemen of the world. Stalin had a deep ideological disagreement with the rest of the world. So it wasn't just like, oh, I'm sovereign and you're sovereign, whatever. It was ideology. The author says that JFK had a sense of responsibility for world order. And I always, I think about JFK's inauguration like all the time. I've heard it so many times because I watched that JFK movie and it quoted him. Like, we will bear any burden, we will fight any foe, or, you know, support any friend, or something like that. He goes, like, this whole list of things, and it always was really inspiring to me, to the point where I might put it at the beginning of this podcast when I create a real intro. But, so, he had a sense of responsibility for the world order. Then we've got the Soviet Union, Korean War. There's the, there are the seeds of the Sino-Soviet split related to the Korean War. There's the Vietnam War, where Kennedy initially just authorized auxiliary troops rather than being directly involved, and then Kennedy was assassinated and then Johnson thought it was more about Soviet aggression so he escalated I think to actual troops there and then it ended up Nixon withdrawing 150,000 per day and then Kissinger actually goes on a really long Nixon apologist and I understand he worked for Nixon so it makes sense but this really long thing about how Nixon did all these great things and it's like fair enough I mean I can't question too much of that uh, taking a bunch of troops out of Vietnam I think was probably a great move at the time although who knows who knows if the United States had never gotten involved in Vietnam. Who knows if the Soviets would have gotten more of a foothold and done all sorts of crazy stuff. Who knows? Anyway, so Afghanistan and, and I do not know enough about that. So don't quote me on that. (laughs) I don't know enough about any of that to be able to determine what the Soviets were or were not doing or would have or would not have accomplished. So anyway, Afghanistan and Iraq wars, we've got that going on. We have Obama's exit strategy thereafter when he announced that we would be leaving by a certain date. That was pretty, that was a curious thing. I understand for domestic politics, but when it comes to war efforts, that's questionable. Okay, so weapons. uh, Oh, then he goes into like just weapons in general. So like the Manhattan Project, nuclear proliferations. And he keeps calling it, even though this was made in 2014, he repeatedly calls it cyberspace. Like it's, it made me think of like the Lawnmower Man movie. (laughs) It's like the 90s talking about the internet. But anyway, so yeah, out in cyberspace trying to figure out what to do about all that stuff. And then, he talks about how Europe has sought to transcend the state with its whole idea of the EU, uh, which is kind of falling apart a little bit. And we'll see what happens with Brexit. But anyway, so that's that's the book. That's most of what he talks about. It was enjoyable. I liked going over a lot of the historical things. But I wish, like with most things, I wish there were more rigorous details related to all this stuff. I understand that if you're really going to try to talk about this stuff, it would be like a 10,000 page book. But still, each one of these issues and each issue like sub issue under these issues could have a book written about it so it's kind of tough he like I said he structured it with it giving the history then a prescription for a given region or country it's very macro scale it's more kind of a survey but I do find the macro understanding compelling related to like Westphalian world order versus Chinese ideas of world order versus like world police or uh, human rights you know emphasizing human rights and just the way that those kinds of ideas impact the way the world's going to interact. I mean, that's really interesting to me. And I'm really interested in this whole Brexit idea because uh, there's kind of this narrative behind it that says that, okay, well, we're just kind of on the shoot where it's just going to be one world (laughs) uh, governance and that's just going to be it. However, you know, I would have thought that in undergrad, but now I'm thinking,
making that we specifically have states that are more and local politics that are more responsive to local issues for a reason. And it's really effective to have that. So I don't think we're ever going to, you know, it'd be like having one house that all the families lived in. You know, I don't think we're ever going to run into that in reality. So there are obviously consequences for any system of world order and you have to understand those. But when it comes down to it, I really think that they the exportation of good cultural ideas like human rights, like free speech and all that will have to be foundational. It'll have to be the substrate that binds the entire world together so we can move on from from there and and regular human rights abuses and like genocide and all that stuff. Hopefully we can get past that. And a lot of stuff going on in Hong Kong right now. We'll see how that turns out. So anyway, that was a fun read. I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed talking about it. I appreciate you listening. This is The Last Coffee House and we are going to be talking about I don't know, something else. I wrote a book it's on Amazon if you want to read it. It's about literature and all that. It's it's fun just looking at amateur writers and chapters from their books and making fun of and in turn praising where necessary. So it's called John Shade Reads Aspiring Authors if you're interested. Otherwise, have some other books coming up, several of them, and I'm, I'm working on uh, some stuff that I think is going to be really exciting uh, related to all that. So anyway, thanks again for listening to The Last Coffee House. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>